Water in this story comes front and center as the setting for baptism. By the time Matthew portrays Jesus and John meeting up at the River Jordan, water indeed will not be new to us in the Bible. But if this story of water in the New Testament is about baptism, then we'll need to plummet for all we can about the significance of the act in general. That's the Reverend Dr. Charles Qualls, and today he shares a challenging message of faith called Water That Renews Us. I'm Peter Wallace. It's day one. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's historic Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now to introduce this week's preacher, here's our host, Peter Wallace. Thank you, Sherry. Today on Day One, we're pleased to welcome the Reverend Dr. Charles Qualls, Senior Pastor of Franklin Baptist Church in Franklin, Virginia. Before accepting that call in 2017, he was Associate Pastor of Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church in Atlanta for 16 years, and before that served churches in Georgia, North Carolina, and Kentucky. The author or co-author of nine books, Charles is a graduate of West Georgia College and earned his Master of Divinity from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and his Doctor of Ministry degree from Mercer University McAfee School of Theology in Atlanta. Charles, welcome to Day One and Happy New Year. Peter, Happy New Year to you, and it's great to be back. You last preached on day one in mid-2021, and like many other preachers during the pandemic, we recorded you remotely, but we're glad to have you here in person this time. Start us out by sketching for us your portrait of Franklin Baptist Church, where, as your website proclaims, every member is a minister. I wish that were true in our church uh, to the fullest extent. Um, We have uh, people who participate in varying amounts. Sure. But our people are so active and so generous. It strikes me that this may be as giving and willing a congregation Mm. as I have served, not just giving to the church. Uh, Our people love their city. They love our region, and they are so connected to it in every way. And it's inspiring to be church with them. We seem to keep coming out of the never-ending pandemic, but how are things going there in terms of your worship and outreach activities? I'm happy to say that we seem to still be on that slow ramp back up. Uh, I looked out Sunday and saw the most people I've seen since before the pandemic. Mm. Uh, Same thing happens at our midweek meal and Bible study. Our attendance is continuing to gain some momentum there. So uh, I I continue to be hopeful that our people are finding their way back. And we're, we're fully open and active now in every mission and ministry thing that we do. And so it feels like we're, we're finally back in some ways. Last year, the church had its 150th anniversary. Were you able to celebrate it? We celebrated it, but about a year later than we intended to. Uh, uh, we really were, uh, in some ways, at 151 years by yes. the time we celebrated that 150th we had intended, but uh, the pandemic just uh, just wouldn't let us do the kinds of activities, and we decided to defer that for a while rather than just not get to. We celebrated for seven months uh, the 150 years of our history, and we had a ball. It was a lot of fun. 
Charles, you launched an outreach effort at Franklin Baptist just before the pandemic called Faith on Draft, where you hosted gatherings at Fred's Restaurant to have conversations about life and faith. What's the purpose of that effort? It's hard to put faith on draft into any of our usual labels. Discipleship might be the closest thing that I can tag it with. Faith on Draft is an opportunity for us to meet somewhere outside the church, in this case, in a special events room at a bar and restaurant, a tap house. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is still, to me, four years later, so much fun to look around the room. And there we are for an hour talking about some complicated, thorny matter of faith. And people are there with everything from a glass of tea to a bourbon or a glass of wine, a lot of long neck beer bottles. And there we are talking about the faith hosted by a Baptist group. It is funny and challenging and great all at one time. Mm. One thing you explain is that participants are to expect and respect differing opinions and politics is not on the agenda. So say more about some of the topics you focus on and and what's been the response to the conversations. The other day, uh, the the latest Faith on Draft we had, we took Jesus' statement in John 14, where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And we asked ourselves the simple question, what did he mean with all of that? Mm. And for an hour, we just traded all of our diverse viewpoints on what we hear and what we don't hear and what the implications are for something like that. We've talked about um, uh, suffering and pain and mm. wh- and where is God in suffering pain. We have uh, used Faith on Draft to discuss God and science and how they meet mm-hmm. and what God seems willing to do and what God seems to self-limit. Um, what happens to me after I die? That was another topic mm. we took on in Faith on Draft. So we get to do the things there that we wouldn't normally uh, get very far into in a Sunday school lesson, a Bible study, or a sermon. Mm-hmm. It seems Jesus would hang out with folks in various public places. In fact, he was accused of eating with sinners and maybe even drinking with them. What does this tell us about Jesus and how we might follow him today? No one's ever asked me that, Peter, but I'd like to think that if Jesus were in Franklin, Virginia <laughs> these days, he'd come to faith on draft yes, uh, and probably sit quietly hmm. and listen to people, much as I do. It's not a teaching time mm-hmm. for me. I think uh, what we learn from experiences like that is that our real lives are lived in the marketplace. Our real lives are lived outside. The church is so essential for our formation, our community, our worship, uh, our uh, healing and and health. But our real lives are lived out in the community, and uh, there's always about 20% of our group at Faith on Draft uh, who do not belong to our church. Mm. And Good. so it's just this safe place. And I, I think the church cannot create too many safe places mm. uh, to do the things of faith and life. And I think that's why that's been such a fun series for me. We likewise get out in the community and serve and put our hands to things that need to be done. Mm-hmm. And um, I think these are the things that the church has got to do if we're going to follow Jesus. Mm. Well, this Sunday, the church celebrates the baptism of the Lord, and your sermon is based on the gospel story from Matthew chapter 3. Would you read it for us? I'd be glad to. This is Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. 
John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. That's such a moving scene. What what stood out for you as you prepared your sermon on this text? Well, it's fascinating for me to watch John protest mm. because of his clarity that he had at that moment of who Jesus was. Mm. Uh, I ended up in the sermon throwing in a mention of what's going to come later in another gospel where John is less certain. And so we have this tension uh, that's held about his certainty and his uncertainty. But in this moment, he does not want to baptize Jesus because he is clear that he is not worthy. But Jesus is on a mission in this moment, and he's not going to let John uh, come out of this without having baptized him. (laughs) Charles, your sermon is titled, Water That Renews Us. Thanks for sharing it with us. My pleasure. I moved to campus over 30 years ago to begin my seminary studies. Unlike when I had left for college terrified a few years before, as I headed off for my theological education, I had hardly felt as certain about anything in my life. I knew what I felt called of God to do. My life was already mapped out, in my head at least, and in those days I could see clear across a career to the finish line of retirement. All I had to do was get through the rest of school and then go take the church and publishing worlds by storm. My worldly belongings were packed into a subcompact car, and I drove through parts of three states to get there. I settled in and read up all of my welcome packet materials, headed into orientation within the next couple of days, made new friends, and didn't know it yet, but I also met the woman I would one day marry. Then the classes started. Seminary as a concept was all brightness and excitement. I mean, how hard could this be? Then the professors showed up. Each professor's assistant had a syllabus they distributed. The tests and papers began. Especially the reading assignments were not what I had been expecting. Bit by bit, my gaze into the future shortened and my certainty eroded. I was up against a legitimate academic challenge, and from the get-go, I was moved to ask new questions, to see things in ways I never had before. My own theology and beliefs were pushed up against, and my sense of calling softened into something I'd like to think God had a much better chance of actually shaping. I look back now at where I've been so far. Life has not turned out to resemble very much at all of what I had planned.
If you can recall a time when you felt certain about something in the beginning, only to feel a bit less certain later on, then you're in the right frame of mind to hear today's scripture. John the Baptist in Matthew's gospel here knew Jesus until he didn't. But in this minute, John was certain. We should learn from his clarity because it didn't last long. John's life probably didn't go much as it appeared it might when he was introducing Jesus to others. We can't forget that later, over in Luke 7, this same John will dispatch some of his disciples after his own arrest to speak on his behalf with our Lord. Then he will be less certain about Jesus. He will send them to ask if Jesus truly is the promised Messiah, the Anointed One, or if perhaps they should be waiting upon another to come instead. Having acknowledged that little backpedal, then, what is here for us? Well, I said that John would be less certain later. I didn't say he would turn out to have been wrong. In this perspective on Jesus that we get early in Matthew's gospel, John's statements about the Christ are enlightening. They're clarifying for us. Now in the first of the year, as Epiphany is upon us, Jesus is revealed in this encounter that we read about. Let's go back to those first days at seminary I mentioned earlier. As I settled into the dormitory, I encountered someone I had once done summer youth camps with. He and I had little in common, really, different personalities and different interests. But he wished me well as I started school. He was nearing his own graduation, so he knew more than I did of what this was all about. He said to me, As you study, pay attention to all the images of fire, wind, and water. They will be where God is. And then he smiled. And I walked away shaking my head and thinking how strange he was, how unrelatably artsy he seemed, downright ethereal even. Turns out he was brilliant. His counsel was spot on. Water is one of the most prolific and meaningful of all the symbols we find in the Bible. When we find water in the Old Testament or New, we'd better pay attention. Just like when we stumble across mentions of fire or wind. Karen Wiseman, in her writing on today's text, reminds us that water is one of the most powerful elements on the planet. The flow of water over ground for an extended time can flatten the terrain. Water can create a canyon, leave a level plain, or become a sustaining resource that flows and creates life. Our own bodies are estimated to be around 60% water. Our good health is sustained only as we take in enough of this essential resource. The earth is seemingly covered with water. Yet even with today's advancements, parts of the world suffer from a lack of clean, potable water. Water in this story comes front and center as the setting for baptism. By the time Matthew portrays Jesus and John meeting up at the River Jordan, water indeed will not be new to us in the Bible. Our memories from the creation stories will include water just under the firmament, but largely covering the earth. Water will destroy life. Water will give life. It may be navigated by humans, but in the Bible— it will only be controlled and moved by God. Writer Warren Carter raises a worthy issue. 
if this story of water in the New Testament is about baptism, then we'll need to plummet for all we can about the significance of the act in general. Baptism has signaled for centuries an intent to arise and walk in newness of life. Baptism has served as a symbol of our oaths to be faithful to God. It has linked us in all its various forms with Christians the world over. We share in baptism as a rich reminder to us and to others who may witness it of how much our faith means to us. But if this story is about Jesus' baptism in particular, that is yet another matter perhaps of even more significance. Why would Jesus feel the need to get baptized? If, as tradition holds, he lived without sin, then the conventional symbolism feels a bit limited where he is concerned. Maybe there's something more. Water did so many important things then as now. It cleansed, as we certainly recognize this symbolic act when we are baptized. Yes, one of the most powerful dimensions of this act by Jesus is that he joined in solidarity with humanity when he encouraged John to accept him into the waters. John's hesitation in our story today should signal us to pay attention. John was willing to baptize so many day after day. He beckoned people like you and me to come and to be cleansed in the river. Now, though, he felt unworthy to baptize Jesus. John felt a certainty that Jesus should be baptizing him instead, so maybe Jesus' baptism is to be understood in most all the conventional ways we would understand our own. But perhaps even more so, Jesus' baptism marked his entry into a new chapter of his own life and ministry. This season of Epiphany, as we learn and discover more about the Lord of our living, Perhaps this moment in Matthew tells us something important. God will give verbal testimony soon that Jesus is not only a son, but an agent of what God is doing in the world. Jesus is being commissioned here in some ways. To John's protests of not being worthy, Jesus responds by insisting not only that John indeed baptize him, but he also wants to do so now. But why so? Matthew's gospel pushes to the fore Jesus' urgency to begin now a new chapter where he will fulfill God's will. Jesus is committing to live into what God has in store in the days and years ahead. God has covenanted through Christ to fulfill the restoration, redemption, and salvation of humanity. Jesus will be the way that God does this. This story says, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. There it is. Righteousness. When we get down to it, this word righteousness means to live in accord or in good faith with God's will. Jesus' baptism functions then more as an anointing only in a New Testament sort of way. Rather than with oil and rather than by a priest upon the head of a future king, John uses water now to anoint Jesus. Jesus is entering into the calling of God upon his commissioned life. He will do the work of God on earth among us. God affirms this 
by speaking in that beautiful, still, small voice that the ancient rabbinicals called bath coal, a divine revelation, the voice of God that is like the cooing of a dove. This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. You and I live in a period of terrible cultural and political division. Old friend sheds old friend in favor of a current and comfortable opinion. Family member repels family member choosing instead to be what they think for the moment is right about something. In my own family, I've known relatives who began to back off lately on visiting others in the family. They simply don't want to walk into a contentious cultural or political discussion that they feel will inevitably be awaiting them. Today's world needs us to be at our very best, not wearing each other down, not hurting one another, not divided up about temporary things. What a price we pay for our distractions, biases, and opinions when we compare that to the work that Jesus was embarking on. Don't those things seem small? When we compare the precious gift of love and relationships, do our differences really seem worth breaking something we might never manage to put back together? John's hesitation seems right, if indeed he did understand who and what Jesus was. Later he might doubt himself, but it seems he had it all right in his certainty about Jesus. Because of that, He was afraid to join our Lord and enter into the water. He felt unworthy to wade in for that moment. This water wouldn't destroy. This was water that didn't level and did not threaten, but instead, water that still gives us newness of life, baptism that signals to all that Jesus was and is at work building a new day. At some point, Learning more about this moment in Jesus' life might send us back to our own baptisms. We might consider that we weren't just cleansed in some symbolic way. We weren't just welcomed into the membership of our local churches. Instead, if we were faithful and willing back then, we were also anointed with Christ into a lifetime where God calls us alongside Jesus to bring about righteousness and justice here and now. Amen. Our preacher today was the Reverend Dr. Charles Qualls, senior pastor of Franklin Baptist Church in Franklin, Virginia. For a free transcript of his sermon, Water That Renews Us, call us at 404-815-9110. That's 404-815-9110. Or write to us at Day One, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Day One depends on the financial donations of our faithful listeners. Please consider supporting our unique ministry with a generous gift. We appreciate it. This is Peter Wallace. Next week on Day One, the Reverend Dr. Charles Qualls returns with a challenging sermon called Two Powerful Stories and a Distraction. So please join us next time on Day One.
Now, our day one preacher, Charles Qualls, offers some final reflections about his sermon today, Water That Renews Us. And, and Charles, you helped us look deeply into the water of the Jordan. You started by telling us about your time in seminary when you started out so confident, and then the work actually began. Sometimes life doesn't turn out to resemble much of what we had planned, you said. John experienced something of that realization of dashed expectations as well. As Woody Allen is purported to have said, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. I wonder if you'd say more about this phenomenon. Why do we tend to get ourselves in this sort of situation with our expectations? I think all we can see is all we can see, and all we know at the moment, any given moment, is all we know. And so we form our ideas, our plans, our hopes around what we know. I mentioned in that sermon that I didn't realize at the time, but on that first day in orientation, I met the woman I would one day marry. <laughs> yes. And as we did begin to to see one another, we would sit and talk about what we saw in the future, trying to figure out, I guess, if our lives really did fit together. Mm. And uh, as I, I laugh about frequently, it, it has turned out to be nothing like either <laughs> one of us thought uh, it was all going to be. And yet I think it's been better uh-huh. than anything we had planned too. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure I would have believed that there was anything out there better than my plans I had made, mm-hmm. but it's a fascinating thing when God actually gets to work in our lives. Mm. You said water is one of the most prolific and meaningful of all the symbols we find in the Bible, just like wind and fire. Water can destroy life and water will give life, you said. And water baptism has signaled for centuries an intent to rise and walk in newness of life. Why do you think baptism is the divinely designated sign for believers? I always connect it with the Old Testament act of anointing. Hmm. And I really believe that that, at least for me, knowing only what I know right now, is the power of it. Um, Our baptism and Jesus' baptism, seem to always signal a commissioning, a blessing, an entry into a new chapter of life Mm. or a new way of living. And I think for so many of us, that may be the spiritual power of it, no matter what mode of baptism we practice. Mm -hmm. John questioned Jesus' request to be baptized by him, but Jesus explained that it is proper to fulfill all righteousness. And you said righteousness means to live in accord or in good faith with God's will. The world needs us to be at our very best, overcome our differences, and follow Jesus in righteousness. What might that look like if we lived, truly lived as baptized believers? I think our culture at the moment— is so divided and so polarized. And Christianity, um, in America at least, is giving itself a pretty good black eye right now, Peter. We are not very often living at our very best. Uh, We Christians seem to always be in the middle of things and often on the wrong side, Mm. often on the wrong side of history, I fear, And what it could look like if we were at our very best might be people who are working instead for justice, for fairness, uh, people who are working to bring healing instead of division, uh, people who are working to bring acceptance instead of exclusion. 
uh, at our very best, our world could use us right now to speak into this moment where we are all so divided. Mm. Charles Qualls, thank you for being with us, and we look forward to having you back next week. Thank you, Peter. Looking forward to being with you again. Day One is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on Day One and forever.